Hello Guardians and welcome to the Destiny Show podcast. Tonight we're live for another episode of the Destiny Show where we continue the conversation about all things Destiny 2 with Season of the Lost now in full swing. We have new story content, we have a new exotic quest, new trials changes, and so much more. And tonight, we welcome an amazing guest on the show who is no stranger to the world of video games and journalism. He is one of the most respected writers in the Destiny community and a critically acclaimed science fiction author. He is the contributing writer at Forbes, the author of The Exiled, Unborn, Earthborn, uh, The Last Exodus, Hero Killer, and The Sons of Sora. He is also a YouTuber with nearly 60,000 Guardians strong. Frequent podcast guest on the Destiny Community Podcast and former co-host of IGN's Fire Team Chat. He reigns supreme from the Fortress of Solitude of Ohio. He is the amazing... Paul Tassie. Thank you so much, Paul, for joining us on the show tonight. It's such an honor to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, it's uh, it's truly an honor. And uh, we have some exciting things to talk about here on the show. We're going to learn much more about Paul. We're going to have you on for our discussion with the Guardians. So I hope you're ready for that. And we have Shadow Price back on the show tonight. What is up, Shadow Price? How are you tonight? Doing really good. Happy to be here, talking. Uh, get into the destiny talk. And and hey, we're we're getting closer to Metroid Dread. Yes, yes, really, we are. really close now. So not too much longer to wait for that. I hope you're ready for that. We have some more news from PlayStation, and I hope you all get a chance to pre-order your copy of. It was that two hundred and fifty dollar game that I was it Horizon Zero Dawn. Horizon Zero Dawn, yes, this expensive edition. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. that two hundred and fifty dollar edition. Oh man, Uh, that's going to be exciting, Uh, and that's coming February eighteenth. Now, Paul, are you a fan of Horizon? I am. Yeah, Uh, I'm sort of sad that it got stacked up with a bazillion other games uh, in the winter, but you know, it's okay. I understand why they had to do it. So I'll certainly make time for it. uh, Even if it is a week before Witch Queen, I'll have to. Yeah, that's right. I made a bunch of play time. (laughs) It's right around. You know, that was the one thing that I was like, oh man, when I saw that date and I was like, oh, it's literally coming a few days before the Witch Queen. And that's not a good time for any game to come out. Well, in the first one, it came out like four days before Zelda Breath of the Wild, one of the it, best yeah. games of all time. <laughs> so, I mean, Not the best timing, yeah. Yeah. Now, Paul, Man. did you pick up the fancy Regalia edition? No, I'm I'm not going to pay 250 bucks for that. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just get the normal edition. I, I think that's good enough for me. Um, you can actually get the ps4 version if you have a ps5 because you get the free upgrade oh right? yeah because we bullied them oh. into doing that i forgot about that they, they did <laughs> yeah. get bullied so yep. so paul thank you for your yeah. contributions in those efforts oh i tried uh, yeah. <laughs> that was great so that's another thing to be excited for and 
the Nintendo Switch OLED model is coming really soon, coming in October. Yeah. And there was also a patent like today or something that was discovered for um, another uh, controller of some sorts um, that's uh, going to be coming either coming to the Switch. So there's speculation uh, galore out there, whether it's going to be like a pro style controller, like another different pro controller, or if it's going to be like the rumored, maybe Nintendo 64, like... Uh, I would believe that when I see it. <laughs> it makes it makes too much sense for Nintendo to start doing uh, N64 stuff. So, well, you know, I hope so, but we'll see. <laughs> well, if, yeah. I'm hearing rumors that the Nintendo Switch Online could be getting a price increase and we could be getting some Game Boy content coming to Nintendo If, you guys, if you've been watching Nate the Hate podcast, yeah, he's, uh, Nate, Nate's been putting it out there for everybody. Yeah, and, uh, welcome to the Nintendo podcast, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we love Nintendo and Destiny here. <laughs> Definitely. We just we're just nerds. We love all games. That's good. <laughs> so let's 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 talk about Paul Tassie. We're here for Paul. He is an incredible, incredible writer, and we're so so honored to have Paul on the show. We're gonna invite Paul for our discussion with the Guardians. So Paul, I hope you're ready. Sure. So the first question we have for you, how'd you get started in the world of Destiny? The world of Destiny? Um, well, I mean, I always played Halo growing up. I'd say Halo is one of my, or Halo 3 is one of my top all-time yes. played games of all time. Uh, so I was very much into Bungie before Destiny ever was a thing. Uh, and then certainly when they said they were going to make a new game, I was interested in what that would be. Um, no one really kind of understood what Destiny was. I think even Bungie didn't really understand what Destiny was kind of uh, originally back at the time, but it still had the game, the same great uh, shooting mechanics and the early alpha and beta tests seemed promising, even though we didn't quite fully understand what exactly we were playing then. Uh, and then the more I played, kind of the more I just found how engaged people were with it. And as kind of the months and years passed, I realized this was a game that I could cover kind of all the time because there was always something to talk about. And it was also a game that I kind of always wanted to play and never really put down. So things just kind of grew from there. Yeah, it seemed like it, there was like two or three camps of people, like the people who played the Bungie games and people who played Call of Duty and people who play Borderlands, the Borderlands games, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. because of the loot, the loot driven system. So but Destiny was able to, like, get all those people like to, you know, play their game, you know, to be in, you know, play in the universe of Destiny. And like so that that's that was a nice problem to have, basically. And you're right. They did not know what they had. <laughs> a while to figure it out but borderlands yeah. was kind of the blueprint in some ways um and yet you know pretty quickly i think destiny became something that was significantly different than than borderlands was right. they started out kind of similar with similar dlc model and stuff but I, I think even by vault of glass you sort of knew that we had something entirely different on our hands here right now paul you mentioned something interesting you were looking for a game to cover so I'm curious, did your writing become a passion that became from the video gaming or were you a writer first? Um, 
Back in college, I I did some writing and I was the the film editor of my school paper there. So that was kind of my first introduction to, I guess, writing about media and then kind of writing about movies and stuff translated into writing about TV and video games at the same time. Because, um, I mean, I, I had been a gamer the whole time. Uh, it's just that I didn't really kind of think to connect the dots on the two. And so um, I still cover movies and TV sometimes, but it did transition into kind of a lot of video game stuff. And then um, when I was kind of acquired by Forbes, I was I was commissioned to write pretty much specifically video game stuff for them. So that kind of uh, became, uh, you know, 80, 90 percent of my content. And that was 11 years ago. So that's it's it's been a while doing that. Yeah. Do you ever get writer's block? I mean, writing for 11 years is a long time. Uh, yeah, I would say for for day to day coverage stuff, not really. I mean, some days it, it can be a little harder if news is, is very slow. But, I, you know, I, I write almost every day, multiple articles. Um, and so I, I don't really get writer's block in that fashion. If I'm trying to like write books and stuff, that's where writer's block hits harder when you're trying to be more creative and not just kind of be reporting news or opinions or things like that. Um, so in the creative realm, I get hit with writer's block more, but in the news realm, it just, it, it always seems like there's something to cover. So I will power through it whenever I have to. <laughs> I love that. And if you can recall back, what was the first article that you had written professionally? Oh, what was God. it about and what was that gig like? Man, that's a good question. Um, I want to say, so it would have been a movie review. I feel like it was one of the Saw movies or something. <laughs> like oh, way awesome. back in the day. Because <laughs> when I was first starting out, like there was kind of a hierarchy of like who got like the good movies and who got the crappy movies. And so I was, I was new. So I would get like whatever saw sequel was out at the given time or something like that. Uh, and so I, I'm pretty sure it was a movie like that. Uh, also, I, I, I don't know if this is my first one, but there was a vampire movie called blood and chocolate, which is the most ridiculously named movie I've ever heard of. Uh, that was definitely one of my earliest movie reviews ever. And I remember that just being, utterly absurd but I, I kind of liked writing about goofy movies like that at the time it was pretty fun so i i don't regret starting out there and is there a difference between writing reviews for movies and writing reviews for video games i mean obviously for the video game you have to play the game but from a writing process do you approach the two differently yeah, I'd say so, because I mean, gaming just has the completely additional component of being an interactive medium. So you kind of that's at least, you know, half or two thirds of the review is how the game plays. So a movie, you're kind of just critiquing the plot and the, the storyline and the, the filming and all that stuff, whereas, you know, gaming has all of that and then also kind of the feel of it. And, you know, some games can can shine in that area and others not. But it is. It kind of makes all the game reviews a lot more multidimensional because there's that additional component added onto it. So uh, I, I would say in a lot of ways that game reviews are, are more in depth than than some movie and TV or, or music reviews can be because of that, um, because they have all the additional factors. Plus, they have the interactivity you have to kind of analyze along with the, you know, just quote unquote, like fun factor of it. <laughs> that makes total sense. And I, I think your description of just the, the comparison between the two, it really 
drives home why I really love to play video games because I feel like the level of immersion that you get from a video game is so much greater than what you can get in a movie. Right. Because movies are like, they have predetermined plots and you know, everything where as games, like you said, it's an interactive medium and you know, it, it's ever changing, especially games like destiny, you know, so, and MMOs and things like that. Yeah. There, there's like kind of a long-term joke about, I remember when destiny was first starting out when they, they said something like they wanted to be, you know, c- compared to Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, and everyone was kind of like scoffing at them and saying like that was so ridiculous. And yet, I-, I think for a lot of individual people, that is true. Like Destiny now is more meaningful to me personally than Star Wars is, and that is a lot because of the, you know, it's been going on for seven years, the interactive nature of it, the community. Uh, so I-, I think they did actually accomplish that in a lot of ways, even if that's not true. Maybe globally at the same level, I think that is they did kind of achieve what they set out to uh, in terms of creating an IP like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. So Paul, going back to your other passion besides the writing, the video games, what was the first video game that you have ever played? First video game that I ever played. I want to say, it might have been a, a, a Genesis Sonic game. I, I think. Oh, good man! That was my. <laughs> that was one of my first ones. Was was uh, Genesis. I, I actually played Super Nintendo and stuff like a little later because um, I, I wasn't allowed to own a video game console until I was like twelve or thirteen. So my first console that I owned was an N sixty four. Oh wow! And then um, my friends had like Genesis and Super Nintendo and stuff like that, so I would play it at their house. Uh, but it was like a big kind of thing in my household where I, I couldn't have a console because uh, my parents were, were concerned about how it might, you know, uh, distract me from from school and, and, you know, all the other concerns parents have. So it's kind of ironic doing what I do now. But uh, my, my parents came around eventually. <laughs> well, we didn't know games would bust through the, the way that they have being the number one form of media in the world, basically, like yeah. at the time. You know, we was just, you know, we had, yeah, Super Nintendo and, you know, Genesis and things like that. The console wars were really big during that time, you know, but it's like, it's amazing to see how far games have come. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah, it's been a, a crazy road and I, I don't think anyone expected them to grow as exponentially as they have here. Yeah. Yeah, we have Shigeru Miyamoto to thank for that, so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think video games have almost progressed and evolved as quickly as technology and technology has very rapidly evolved over the last two, three decades. Like to think what we have in terms of technology in the palm of our hand with smartphones now, like it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, every, every way that technology has evolved, kind of gaming has been there evolving right along with it. So that's, that's a good point. Yeah. So as a gamer, PlayStation, Xbox, or PC, and why? <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble here. <laughs> so I, I own all of them. Um, I, I still devote most of my time to PlayStation because that is just where I started Destiny on, and Destiny continues to be my main game. And even with crossplay, I, I still spend most of my time on PlayStation, um, some of it on PC. 
I would say most third-party games these days I am playing on Xbox because I've had some trouble with PlayStation and third-party games uh, across generations here. So I, I've been playing a lot of the stuff on my Series X. And then, it's, um, it's a really yeah. nice console. It yeah. is. It really is. And then uh, PC, it, it depends. I play things like, uh, like Genshin Impact. I play on PC. That's my main platform for it. And it just sort of depends, but uh, probably PlayStation for the most part right now. And yet I kind of just, I bounce around a lot depending on what I need to do. Um, I'm totally the same way. Now, are you a Nintendo fan too? I, I mean, I have a Switch. I wouldn't say I'm like the biggest Nintendo person. I certainly like, you know, a, a ton of different Nintendo games. I grew up with Nintendo. I mean, as I said, 64 is my first console. I just haven't maybe stuck with it as long as the others where I certainly respect the games that they're still putting out. And I, I have played, you know, all the new Mario games. I played Breath of the Wild, um, but I am less current, I would say, on a lot of Nintendo games than uh, maybe some people. And I know everyone is, is highly anticipating Metroid Dread. I just I don't know if that's going to be like my thing per se. Like, I, I know how classic it looks and stuff, but I would say compared to the others, I, I am more into the kind of high, higher powered uh, AAA type consoles rather than always sticking with kind of every new Nintendo game. Um, I know people like the portability of the Switch for commutes and if you have families and stuff, but since I'm kind of just home playing games all day on my home consoles, I don't really need that, that functionality right now. So maybe that'll change in time, but that's just kind of where I'm at for now a good secondary or third console you know for people like exactly some people, yeah like they have the pc and then they got a switch or they have a ps playstation or ps5 and then they got a switch you know so exactly. they, i mean they just were they just activated the bluetooth um on it for you i'm still trying to figure out what happened with that why it took like four years to do that i, I still don't really get it but okay <laughs> nintendo will be nintendo <laughs> forever yeah that is true yeah. yep yeah I, I think I have the same approach with Nintendo. Like I have a Nintendo Switch. Uh, I will be getting a Nintendo Switch OLED when that comes out. <laughs> what? Uh, so why, why are you getting that. the OLED? I'm curious. Like, is, is, do you think <laughs> it is that significant of an upgrade? Like, it's uh, funny you ask, Paul. Uh, so apparently, Walmart has this weird thing. You know, I, I bought it because FOMO. Okay, it okay. comes out and I don't want to miss out. And I saw it was available. It was white. Color was cool. OLED sounds like a good upgrade, kind of. So I ordered it. And then I checked my order as I was contemplating whether I want to keep it or not. And for some reason, it was like $0. It was free. Wow, okay. So I'm like, okay, right. I'm not going to cancel it now because it says that it's free. So, okay, <laughs> we'll see what happens. But uh, I may be getting a free Switch OLED, uh, or I may not. We'll find out. Interesting. Um, but that's why I kept the order. That motivated me to kind of keep it, because I thought about maybe selling my current Switch and then just upgrading to the OLED just because um, it would be fun to play Metroid Dread with the OLED screen. And I don't know. I'm a gamer. I like video games. And... Um, I have all the video games. I, dude, I still have a Game Boy Color. I got one somewhere. It's like, buried in the, in the closet somewhere. <laughs> did you play Pokemon? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I man, did stop after Gold Pokemon and Silver. Though I did up until then, but. 
Okay, Pokemon Blue was was my favorite in in the franchise, although I have been playing the more recent games with Sword and Shield. That that has been fun too. Okay, nice. Walmart has a thing where they with their price uh things uh, errors or adjustments because i same things happening to me with uh, the metroid dread special edition i ordered it from walmart and now all of a sudden it says price match adjustment and it gave me like 30 dollars off it so i'm only paying instead of 90 plus tax or 89 plus tax i'm only paying 57 dollars for it oh wow that's, that's so the, yeah and at shadow price tell us about how much you paid for your playstation five digital edition yeah uh like uh um, <laughs> yeah they also did as a similar thing where yep, they kinda. did some sort of adjustment and i paid like 25 bucks for a ps5 digital <laughs> edition i don't know absurd. what they i don't know what they do at walmart i'm not sure but hey i'm not you know i'm not not knocking it yeah walmart's so big they don't even notice you know they don't they, don't they definitely know. don't <laughs> The ultimate value in entertainment. For sure. Uh, so the moral of the story is if you're looking to pick up a new console or a collector's edition, Stop online at try Walmart. your luck com. with Walmart. Yep. Apparently, yeah. You might get lucky. <laughs> yeah. You might get lucky. <laughs> so, Paul, I'm curious. What defines a great first person MMO shooter, in your opinion? Hmm. I guess it depends what you're trying to get out of it because it's kind of this divide these days between live service and we're definitely not a live service, even though we are. Uh, if you want sustainability, you kind of need the ability to kind of keep creating content over the longer term, which almost nobody has been able to figure out except Destiny, I'd say. Uh, but these other games have been kind of um, doing something similar. It's just they're kind of breaking down into more traditional DLC models, whether that's Borderlands or, you know, we'll probably see an Outriders expansion, something like that. Um, if you don't care about sustainability and you just kind of want a fun game to play, you know, at baseline, I, I think mechanically that's the most important thing, like especially with an FPS, just how it feels. And that is what I think Destiny has gotten better than, uh, you know, almost any other shooter on the market, whether it's a, a loot based thing or, or other. Otherwise, it just feels good to play, which has always been Bungie's strength. Um, and then, I, I don't know, you can kind of move down the list in terms of what matters the most to you. I, if we're talking loot-based, I think, you know, obviously figuring out a kind of cohesive loot system and gear grinding system is important because you can have good gameplay, but if you don't have a good loot system, that is going to kind of hurt your longer-term prospects too. Uh, we've seen that with Avengers, I would say. It's not a first-person shooter, but... That game uh, is very fun to play. The, the, the character kits they've made are, are incredible for the heroes. It's just the loot and kind of the grinding loop of that game is sort of terrible. So if you don't have that aspect down, that, that can work against you too. Um, it happened with uh, Anthem too, if I'm not mistaken. Anthem, so yeah, Anthem. Anthem took a while. Anthem like sort of got loot right by the end, but they, they never got the, the farming loop right. It was It was always like... There is one activity that drops like the loot you want at any given time in Anthem, and then you're there is no point doing anything else. <laughs> did so, they ever bring the cataclysms or anything like that? Like the they raid, did, like so that? yeah, they did do cataclysm eventually, and cataclysm was the best thing to get loot for a while, and that was pretty fun. It was just that was like the only thing they ever did of any significance, and then it became the only thing that you were really right. supposed to do. <laughs> so 
it didn't have an evolving end game basically right. right they just they never really figured out how to kind of make content for the longer term of that game uh after the cataclysm they were just right. very very minor things and they just they couldn't sustain it so not many people yeah. can like destiny like bungie's it's figured out a, it's it is genuinely hard yeah they figured out a secret sauce and it's like you got all these companies that want there are companies that would kill to have the game that bungie does with yeah, exactly yep and i mean and you're seeing generally speaking fewer people even kind of try to match it because you know we always talk about the you know there's a new destiny killer every year or something but now when you see sort of games in the space they are going out of their way to say like no 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 we're not competing with destiny like yeah we have shooting and loot and whatever but like we're not a live service like don't hold us to that standard which is how you get like outriders <laughs> where you're just yeah. like oh we're a complete game at launch and blah 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 so it's it's kind of funny um how much people have kind of fled from that fight at this point yeah you know i get the impression that in the video games industry you have to essentially own your destiny and i know it's a cheesy thing to say uh, with the destiny podcast but you have to be in control of your game because if you're not then a lot of other companies want to get into the live service game uh, formula, but it's not easy to do and it takes time to build and you have to be in it for the long run. Bungie being in control of their own game and their own IP completely, they're fully invested, right? So they're in for the long run and they will be fully committed. But with a game like Anthem, essentially a boardroom of publisher you know executives decided the fate of the game and i think that could also be a factor yeah that's that's a good point because there are not there are not too many other games in destiny same situation where it's it's owned by kind of an independent uh publisher now i, I would say warframe is kind of in a similar situation you could maybe say that that borderlands is with gearbox although gearbox is kind of in, in many senses under 2k uh but yeah for for kind of the more corporate games like square enix owns both avengers and outriders and are dictating things about those games and then you know anthem was ea so i, I think those games were kind of hamstrung by those sorts of expectations uh in a way that destiny no longer is and i think destiny was kind of hamstrung by activision in many ways for a long time with kind of the rigorously demanded schedules that they had and the things that they were not allowed to do in, in certain ways. Because they wanted a new game out by like, what, uh, like two years into Destiny Yeah, 2? we would have had Destiny 3 out like two years ago if Activision exactly. was still doing things. So yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I think Bungie made the right call in, in becoming independent, and the game has greatly benefited for it since then. Yeah, the only I thing that can kill Destiny is uh, Destiny itself, Bungie, so... No. And now it's I think we're past the point of no return for Destiny killing itself. So yeah. <laughs> I, I don't good. think they can. Yeah. It's too big. And then they got matter so, on the horizon, you know. They have a lot of horizon. Yeah, they have a lot of things on the horizon. We'll we'll see what actually is the one that kind of makes it out first, but I'm I'm certainly curious. Movies and uh series and things like that. I'm, yep. I'm excited to see that too. Yep, that is definitely happening. Uh, I don't know when they'll announce it, but that's yeah. certainly something they're putting a lot of, of effort into. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you, you heard it here on the Destiny show. Things are happening. I don't know. That's breaking <laughs> news. They've been pretty clear about it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I'm excited for more Destiny content. In fact, I just purchased the statue. Oh, nice. And I'm such a sucker for these things. And they're like, uh, I bought the Hunter statue. Oh, nice. It was really, really cool looking. It had uh, Sins of the Past, I want to say. Oh, I thought, I bought, I thought you bought the Fallen stuff. statue. We're going to talk about this because <laughs> I, okay, so I did. I did initially do that. Yes, you're right. I bought the wrong statue Okay, because I went on uh, the Bungie store and they had the Fallen Captain statue. And I thought, you know, it would be kind of cool to own a fallen captain statue because it's from the Cosmodrome and that's like my favorite destination in the game. Yeah. So I thought, okay, you know, I signed the new client, you know, I'm going to splurge and I did. And then I decided against it. Uh, So I actually canceled that order and ended up going with a destiny Two hunter statue from big bad toy store. And it was only $189. I say only a hundred. <laughs> oh god, four hundred, right? Do you really want to know? Oh, it was like three ninety nine. It was so. How bad. big was it? <laughs> I don't even know, but it 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 better be. Holy crap! That's like better be able to make your breakfast cost. in the morning, man. That's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Now the the hunter statue. It comes with uh, the last city ghost shell. You get an arc staff a Sins of the Past rocket launcher, and a Uriel's Gift auto rifle. Okay. And it was like 190 bucks. So I was like, all right, you know, that seems a lot more reasonable. So I went with that. Do you think we're going to so get uh, my, Destiny okay. Monopoly? Maybe? It, it, the branding expansion? That would be kind of hilarious. Yeah, with the different destinations. I mean, I don't know. There's so many types I of I would it. so buy a Destiny Monopoly. Oh, yeah. I'm all what over would it. be? Uh, I guess the Dreaming City would probably be like Boardwalk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I know. Just being in the Dreaming City again, like that place is beautiful. It like reminds you of like Lord of the Rings or something. Yeah, it's, it's definitely Rivendell for sure. Yeah, I would say Park Place would be uh, the cat, the the Riven's Walk, <laughs> 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 going through the mouth. Yeah. You know what I would really enjoy for them to expand into ice cream? I would either want my own ice cream bars or better yet, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. But like a Destiny flavor. Why is that not out? (laughs) I love that. Cade Stash. There we go. That's perfect. Hey, never, never say never with the current trajectory of things. I want royalties. I think we just gave Bungie another idea. Yeah, we did. We did. So if they're listening, please. Uh, oh, we know they listen. A DM on Twitter. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, Paul, I'm curious, going back to you, what's it like to live in the shoes of Paul Tassie? What's your day to day routine like? Hmm. Um, well, I've been working from home for 11 years. <laughs> I don't ever have to go to an office. I can stay remote. Uh, I mostly just follow my wife around the country wherever she needs to work for her job, which is perfect. It's about all you, all you can ask for for flexibility. Uh, I get up about seven every day and start researching and writing when I'm going to publish for the day. Uh, I can get kind of everything I'm going to be done writing by, it depends, like 11 or noon. Um, but then after that, I got to do some YouTube. I got to, um, play the games I got to play, watch the shows I got to watch. 
And then probably by the end of the day, I'm, I'm already researching stuff that I'm, I might be writing about for the next day. So it's there aren't really hard, hard and fast hours uh, and the actual like writing, writing I kind of, you know, can do on the quicker side. But it's kind of a lot of also background work to kind of stay knowledgeable and, and know what you're talking about when you write about all this stuff. Yeah, and I'm definitely no stranger to the work from home now. One thing I'm curious about, working from home and pretty much having the flexibility to largely have your own schedule aside from meetings, do you find yourself staying up late and having trouble with that? Because I, I have that trouble all the time where I would stay up late whether I'm working on something and I'm just zoning out and I'm, I'm before I look up, it's like three o'clock in the morning and it's like, shit. And then I wake up and it's like 930 in the morning. My, I would say my hard, hard limit is about midnight these days. Like I, I'm just too old now to stay up till 3 a.m. I couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and uh, I, I would say my hard limit for waking up is probably 8 a.m. Like anything past that, I can't, I can't stomach. So, <laughs> on a good night, I go to bed at like 11 and wake up at seven. On a bad night, it's probably no later than midnight and eight o'clock. So. <laughs> Yeah, I try to do the thing. I try to get to bed at midnight and I'm up at 6:45 like during the week, so you know, that's that's I need to get into a better routine. Maybe maybe I'll find an app on my Apple Watch. We'll see. <laughs> nice. Speaking of Apple Watch, new new Apple tech is coming. You have new iPhones, new iPads, new New everything. Did you say the oh, one is like fifteen hundred dollars for the new iPhone? I mean, if you get the if you get the one terabyte model, the fully decked out oh. iPhone thirteen Pro Max Ultra, whatever they call it, I don't know. Yeah. Then it's like sixteen hundred bucks. But you know, even then, Did, I, I get it. Didn't Steve Jobs say he didn't want phones like this big? and stuff and now they're just like they don't care what steve jobs wants he did say that he did (laughs) but they don't care what he wants he's he's been dead for a minute now i know he'd be rolling over his grave right now (laughs) no uh, me and shadow price talked about this because i was all about the smaller phones because like yeah i'm five four i have small hands like i i can't (laughs) deal with big phones and i'm six five last year (laughs) yeah i got this iphone mini six five like it's now here's the irony of it he has the iphone 12 mini I have the Samsung Galaxy S21 Plus. That's a mouthful, first off. Branding 101. Yeah. Come on, Samsung. Yeah. But aside from that, this thing is a beast. It's like 6.8 inches. That is. And it's funny because I was like, perfect. should I get should I get yeah. an iPhone mini? It's like an iPad. Yeah. The, the, I, the iPad mini. And I was like, dude, it's like an inch bigger than your phone. It's like, what's I love the this point phone. of that? This phone is great. I mean, yeah, it's smaller than you know that phone but it's still got like the same processor like as a regular iphone 12 so it's pretty pretty fast it's way faster than the six i had i mean it was a huge upgrade from a six to a 12 it went from the six oh man yeah that's that's got to be a rough patch yeah it was dealing with the iphone six for how many years was that with the iphone six almost six almost six years wow i'm amazed it didn't die on you it almost did. I had to replace the battery midway in <laughs> at um, Best Buy. Oh, I remember that. You had to go to Best Buy. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you, I think you asked me, like, where should I go to get this battery replaced? I'm like, just don't do it yourself. Just go to Best Buy. Yeah. Uh, worked out. But um, mm-hmm. 
it, it, it definitely did its job. It lasted you a long time. And I get it. I mean, I, I'm a sucker for like just the operating system on here. I tried to do an Android in 2018. Can't do it. I just, I, I'm so used to the iOS. You know, I can never switch system. at this point. It's too late now. Exactly. So are you, are you an iOS guy? Or are you I'm an, an iOS guy? Not because of any particular loyalty. It's just so I, that's how I started. And I, I'm not even a Mac guy. I just, I'm an iOS phone guy. So yeah, same. Yeah, Me too. Just how it worked out. I know it's going to sound really messed up, but I'm the same way. I know I have a Samsung phone and I'm an iOS guy with literally AirPods and an Apple watch. Ironically, I'm probably the only person with a Samsung phone and Apple products for everything else. That is pretty funny. Yeah, it's the opposite of me. (laughs) Well, okay. so what happened was I ended up getting an iPhone SE, which ended up kind of crapping out on me. And I thought, okay, I like the smaller form factor so i'm just going to get the se instead of getting the bigger phones so i did and within like three months the wi-fi or not the wi-fi but the 5g started going bad yeah and my data speeds were like crap so at that point i ended up buying this samsung phone i think i paid like 400 bucks and it came with a vacuum cleaner go figure i don't know how that happens but gotta love samsung but uh, so I bought this new phone to replace the Apple phone, thinking that there's going to be a new iPhone in September. And here we are. September is here. So now I'm debating if I want to get rid of this Samsung phone and come back home to where I belong. So well, you did just I save $400 on a Destiny statue. So the world is your oyster. I did. I did. But I did choice. spend 200 on one. So well, it's, you know, you know. it's fine. Eh, it's okay but i i might have to i might have to now are you picking up the new iphone 13 paul mm, no i use my phone until it is absolutely dead so that's what i did <laughs> i don't think it's gonna last six years i'm on a i'm on a 10 so i'm i'm behind <laughs> I think, okay. yeah, I think it's, it's a 10 or an 11 i don't even remember but yeah my battery is is slowly just dying somehow but what do they call it? Planned obsolescence, basically. Yeah, I, I swear they do that on purpose where they're like, oh, oh no, your battery's dying. So unfortunate. You better buy a new one. Like, yeah, that's how they make so much money, man. Like, yeah, they just know. They make way too much money. So, so, Paul, back to you. What do you love the most about your work? Like, all of it or just like the job in general or how do you mean like with with the with the articles that you write or the books that you work on just your professional work what, um, do, you, what do you enjoy the most about it i i love the freedom and flexibility of kind of at this point in my career I, i'm able to cover essentially what i want to cover how i want to cover it when i want to cover it i i am offered pretty broad oversight in in those regards uh which is is fantastic uh and that is not true of many other places. So um, it is kind of nice to have that freedom to write. You know, I write for Forbes, which is a financial publication at baseline. And yet they have expanded into kind of all industries. And this allows me to do things like write hyper specific destiny columns because, you know, they, they attract an audience and people, you know, can, can still enjoy them and relate to them. So I, I enjoy the freedom to be able to do that uh, when uh, it might be more kind of restrictive elsewhere, or I might have to go through kind of more layers of red tape. Uh, 
so it is, it's good to kind of be able to do that and to make my own schedule and kind of adjust my own living arrangements while I do that. That's, pretty That's awesome. really well said. Yeah. And is there anything that you dislike about your work? Um, is there anything that I mean, kind of... It would be nice to have in-person co-workers, probably, because, like, you know, I, I think people make a lot of friends at work, and I guess, you know, all, all my friends um, through work are, are just internet friends, which is great, and I, I love that, and I, I get to meet a lot of people um, from all over the world doing this. It's just that I rarely get to see people in person, uh, like, even people I work with at Forbes, uh, my, my buddy Eric, I've, I've met him one time in person in 11 years. Like it's just these these situations don't come up that often. So uh, that that part of it can be a little tough. But uh, I grew up an only child. I'm used to it. And I'm married. So I live with my wife. And it's not, you know, I'm not like totally here by myself. I have my corgi. I'm, I'm OK. <laughs> you have a small group. Yeah. Yeah. It's good mm-hmm. to have. That. That's good. It's good to have a companion at your side and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a corgi. And a corgi, yep. And yeah, no, that's that's really, you know, well said. And it's interesting to me because you mentioned how you had this lifestyle for the past like 10, 11 years, right? But for most Americans, at least, or I would say most people in the world, with COVID being such a reality over the past few years, we're realizing that work from home is becoming a necessity for most people now. So it's it's interesting how it's a lifestyle that you've maintained for a while where, you know, you can just kind of work from home and get stuff done remotely. Uh, so it must have been a very natural transition for you into the new way of doing business, so to speak. Yeah, essentially nothing about my actual schedule changed just because I've been doing it for so long. And then uh, my wife is in medicine, so her schedule didn't change either because she didn't, you know, she, she wasn't able to stop going into work. She had to work even harder. So our, our lives in that sense didn't really change in terms of kind of going into the office or not. Um, but I, I certainly understand how it would be so different for a lot of people, kind of both pros and cons. I feel like on the pro side, a lot of people may have realized that a lot of working in person is kind of BS and it, 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 depending on your industry, um, you may be kind of adding a bunch of additional fluff, whether that's unnecessary meetings or commute time and things like Mm -hmm. that. When like, you know, your 12 hour workday could be like a five hour workday. If you just cut all that out Uh, on the flip side, I know that it, it kind of depends on your living situation where if suddenly you have to work from home, if you have kids that now have to do school from home, that is nothing short of a nightmare and that is <laughs> exhausting. So I, I imagine that is the opposite effect and much harder on people. So I, I, I think the pandemic has been interesting in that sense. And I think there is certainly a place for a lot more working from home. I just I, I think that um, it, it kind of depends on your situation. So I, I can't say it's a, a universal remedy for everyone, but I, I do think more industries could be more open to it. As long as the internet is working, I feel like I'm more efficient from home. Yeah, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. That's that's how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It saves you on the commute and you can make as much coffee as you want at home. And you can get up to stretch like, when you need to yeah. and things like that. You just have so much more freedom and flexibility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I personally really enjoy having the um, freedom to work at whatever hours I choose. And that's, that's a really big thing for me. Like if my friend comes into town, he's like, 
I want to hang out. I want to be able to do that, right? Yeah, mm-hmm, for sure. Stuff like that. Uh, so, Paul, I'm curious. What games are you most excited to play that are coming out in 2021 and games that are coming out in 2022? Okay. Um, I am very curious to fully get my hands on uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy game um, from Square Enix, because I really love Eidos Montreal. Uh, their Deus Ex games were incredible. Uh, I did just play that at a preview event, but I literally don't think I could talk about that at all. <laughs> but I am I am just curious to kind of um, play the full game there, uh, as that's something that's been on my radar from the start. Uh, and then I would say uh, definitely Halo Infinite. Um, I have many, many questions about how that is going to go in practice, and yet uh, the multiplayer at the very least seems like it's going to be great. Uh, I'm just kind of wondering how the campaign is going to go, given how little we've seen from it. Um, but that is certainly something that is is very high up on my list here uh, for 2021. And uh, 2022 Horizon, like we talked about for sure. Um, I am very much looking forward to the new Saints Row game. Uh, Saints Row is one of my favorite series ever, like kind of flying under the radar. And uh, also the new Borderlands sort of spinoff Wonderlands, the fantasy thing that... Um, with Tiny Tina, yeah. Looks interesting, yeah. So that's that's going to be another looter. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, no, you mentioned some uh, really interesting games. Halo Infinite, of course. That's being led by Joseph Staten, and he is a legend when it comes to the Bungie franchise. And they and did the bring him Universe. up in last week's uh, blog about the uh, yeah. seventh anniversary. I'm, you know, I'm slightly disappointed that you mentioned that uh, crossplay will not be coming to the campaign, so you won't be able to play co-op campaign at launch, which is kind of a downer. You know, I wish we had that ability, but I am excited to play the campaign to see what that is all about. Because you're right, like the three four three has been very silent about the campaign largely, um, so it's going to be interesting to see what that is all about. Yeah, we've gotten. You know, it's it's three months left, so I think there's still time. It's just the problem is like the, the, the bad thing we saw last fall was the campaign kind of preview thing. And we just really haven't seen anything besides that other than these very, very short uh, sequences. Like we saw, you know, Master Chief talking to the new not Cortana AI, but we haven't really seen anything kind of significant from the open world or campaign. So I, I think we kind of need some reassurance as to how that's going to launch and how that's going to go. They had to turn that ship around, man, when they got Joseph Staten on board. Like, it was heads down, just everybody just, you know, just all to the wall, you know, just go, go, go to try to get that thing, like, in a, you know, good state and everything, because it did not show well. But so I'm I'm hoping that, you know, they were able to make lots of strides to get it in a a really good uh, playable state. Need is is one good showing, and, and people will feel kind of reassured. It's just that all we keep hearing about is is multiplayer and the test flight and stuff, which is great. It's just you know I think we're all just kind of wondering where the campaign is and, and what it's going to look like now. So this really makes me wonder about one thing. You know, the Halo game, Halo Infinite, is coming to Xbox Game Pass, and I'm wondering. Based on the history of Xbox Game Pass games that go straight to Game Pass, I guess, 
um, does that affect the quality of the games that we get? Like with State of Decay, that wasn't as exciting as it was planned to be. Halo, uh, Sea of Thieves, another one that didn't quite meet its expectation. Really good water, Outriders, though. <laughs> really good water. Outriders, another one. So I'm wondering, like, does this Game Pass affect the quality of the game? Are there maybe financial decisions that are made that go against the developers? I think it's too early to say that for sure, because, you know, the past generation was Microsoft kind of just not really having itself together in terms of a lot of high quality first party offerings. And then Um, offering them on Game Pass exclusively, which is kind of their new mantra going forward. Uh, So like all of their first party things are going to be on Game Pass from now on. And I just I don't think we've seen enough test cases of that with truly, truly major games um, to know that, because like I I agree with the the games you're listing now. It's just that like what happens when it's money games in the cooker right now. Right. It's like what happens when it's infinite or when it's Starfield or Fable. Fable. Like, so. Yeah, yeah. If if those games all launch and they're all mediocre and bad, then I think that will raise some serious questions about kind of their first party prospects and the idea of putting everything on Game Pass. But from the, the sense I'm getting is like, I don't think they're like, say, cutting costs or something like that to to get games on Game Pass. I think they are investing just as much in these games as Sony is in their games. It's just kind of a different model it's a riskier model i think and but it's better for consumers kind of at their own expense um but i I think it's too early to to tell based on just kind of the last generation before they really kind of ramped up their efforts to uh you know fully invest in in all these first party acquisitions and and new titles with them acquiring bethesda like that was a game changer I don't imagine Bethesda games are just like going to all start being terrible. <laughs> like it just that doesn't seem oh, scroll six, right? I mean, right. Yeah, yeah, the exactly. next other yeah. scrolls. Oh man, they confirm that's going to be exclusive to Game Pass and Xbox. <laughs> yeah. They ha- that's big. Uh, they have they? They they kind of they have. Did. They kind of have, right? They did. Mm-hmm. They did come out and say that yeah. it was going to be xbox exclusive and they're doing that with starfield too like that's probably just gonna starfield, be pc yeah. and xbox that's another one starfield well. yeah 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 so i'm curious paul you've been in the video games industry for a really long time now since you started working in video games how has the industry evolved how do you see it continue to change over the next decade so that's a really good question Jeez. <laughs> very philosophical um i would say probably the biggest change is just the size of adoption where i i would never have predicted you know all this time ago that video games would be you know bigger than movies and sports <laughs> combined like just the sheer scale of how big the video game industry has gotten between kind of you know quote unquote traditional gaming and um also you know mobile gaming like just I would have never expected it to evolve past kind of um, where it started. Like when I was growing up, like gaming was like for kids. Like it, it was not an adult pastime, but it, everyone grew up and everyone realized that they didn't want to stop playing video games. Oh, and so they just kept doing it. <laughs> exactly. And 
I, the, the only thing that changes is how much time you have to devote to them. But people are making kind of the conscious choice to, you know, forego other stuff in, in favor of being able to stick with at least some of their favorite games and make that a hobby. So that that is something I, I guess I would not have predicted to see uh, just because that just wasn't really on the table back then uh, to the same extent. Uh, where I see this going from here, I the next 10 years, I think, I don't think will be that meaningfully different than... Um, where we are now in many aspects, like I, I am not one of those people that predicts like, okay, like, you know, game consoles are going to die and everything is going to be virtual reality or everything is going to be cloud streaming. Like, I think that if anything, this generation has proven that video game consoles and, and like PC gaming are, are here to stay and are bigger than ever. So I, I think you're going to see kind of just all, all spaces continue to expand and probably not even at the expense of one another. They're just going to all simultaneously keep growing and keep uh, kind of changing and, and evolving their capabilities. I, I, I think we are still a long, 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 long ways away from something like full kind of VR takeover of the gaming industry or cloud gaming takeover, like so, something like that. So I think that we will certainly see another full console generation um, and that that is going to continue for for kind of quite some time, if not indefinitely. Uh, kind of the opposite prediction that a lot of tech people tend to make. Yeah. That is really interesting. Because I would I like I would think based on how technology is advancing, I would think that there would be less of a need for hardware going into the future. But they said last generation and it just it it just isn't happening. <laughs> and like the, this PlayStation is is the fastest selling console of all time. So like I don't think there's a, a need to think that this is the peak necessarily. Like even even though logically it, you, you would think that it just isn't really proving to be true. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think we definitely have a ways to go before we're at that peak. But I definitely think that there will come a point where technologically we're so advanced unless we're pushing the limits of 8K gaming. And at that point, I don't know if that's going to come into fruition. Because I, I think 4K gaming is probably as far as our eye can really distinguish the difference. And after that, it just becomes it's probably true. inefficient. It's just, I guess yeah. I just see such a difference between, I, I would say the cloud stuff is more likely to happen than VR stuff. Because I, I, I put VR just in an entirely different category. Like the, the VR games you make are not adaptations you know, for the most part of current console games. And there are just so, so few kind of mainstream AAA yeah. VR games that you can name them on one hand. Whereas cloud gaming, if they can come up with the tech, like I can see, I guess I could see the pricing model changing more to be more like everything is Game Pass. Like ev I, I can see everyone kind of having to evolve their own version of Game Pass if that becomes the most popular thing. And yeah, it's Game Pass is a combination of downloading games to your physical Xbox and also cloud gaming when you need it. And I don't think that is going to change either. So, yeah, I mean, Xbox gives you choices. You got the Series X, you know, you got the Series S and then you got the uh, the cloud, right? You got the uh, yeah. mm -hmm. X cloud. So they got like a three tier approach. So they're kind of like, you know, getting ready for that, you know, this like new generation, basically. Like yeah. they're 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 forward thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Just just a thought, but 
can we ever potentially see Xbox Game Pass come to Sony PlayStation and Nintendo Switch? They would want it there. They they I, want it. They want Microsoft it. Microsoft wants it. I, yeah. I, I am never going to say never because like Microsoft has just so much money. It is almost yeah. impossible to say what they can't do. Like, you know, if you told me that Microsoft is going to buy Sony someday, I would say that that is not impossible. Like just no. because of the sheer size of, you know, the top companies in the world. Um I would say it's unlikely for a while for certainly kind of this generation. Uh, and I, I think we, the current kind of distanced rivalry will say the same switch switch seems like it could be a little more likely because, you know, Nintendo is never going to have their own, you know, adequate game streaming service within the next 15 years. So, uh, you know, maybe that could be something uh, yeah. they kind of uh, agree to go into partnership with Microsoft on, but uh, again, I, I would say that if that did happen, that would be pretty far off. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I think you're totally right there. And um, on a slightly different topic, well, before we dive into it, I do want to also mention one thing that kind of sucks for me as someone who appreciated video games for many years now. Um, I really don't like the fact that we're kind of losing the physical video games in many respects, where everything's becoming more digital. And like, even think about Destiny. If you want to just buy the Destiny, whatever content, unless you're buying the collector's edition, you're not getting anything physical. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas before, you know, you were able to get the Steelbook case and... The, the disc and just the cover art. And I really like having that physical content. I mean, I can respect that. I personally, I, I have kind of gotten past it where I am not really a physical collector person anymore. Like I am okay with the digital transition at this point. Um, I, I did used to be the type of person who had, you know, all my game boxes on a shelf somewhere and like, like looking at all of them, but like, ultimately the convenience of digital downloads um, kind of just won me over where I do not really miss having to, you know, drive to the store to pick up a game or, you know, order it online and wait for the physical delivery. So for me personally, I don't really miss that. I think it's cool when they offer kind of options like that still. And like some games are still doing steelbook cases and things like that. Um, I guess just for me personally, it, it it's something that doesn't really bother me anymore at this point. So the argument is, is like, how long do you have those digital rights to that game that, you know, that's what we have to like ask ourselves, you know, it's like when that, if that storefront shuts down, do we have that game anymore? You know? Like, yes. It's just that like everything is there now. Like how do you consume media now? Like you just subscribe to a bunch of streaming services and like you don't own any of that. It's just sort right. of like, you, you yeah. know, I, you can buy digital copies of, of things on Amazon if you want, or like, I guess you can still buy some box DVD sets or Blu-rays. It's just, it's just kind of how things are moving. And like, you just sort of have to trust, you either have to kind of give up the, the fact that you don't own, like you don't literally own media anymore. You just sort of access it on demand or you just kind of forego the system entirely, which means you miss a bunch of stuff. So it's, 
it's not I ideal. Mean, it's just sort of like inevitable at this point, I think. I, I feel like that's why I've gotten into physical game collecting and things like that over the past few years. I like I've bought in lots of systems over the past few years. I've bought GameCube. I've bought a Dreamcast. I bought a Sega CD and a Genesis about oh, wow. a few months ago. Um, and I'm just and multiple PSPs. <laughs> PSV multiple PSPs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And Never have too many PSPs, so. <laughs> and I just, I want to have those pieces because I, eventually I want to pass it down. Like, I, I either want to pass it down or if it becomes, like, very rare and eventually sell it off. But I'll probably do one or the other. But I, I just, I like having it because it's it's a, it's just like a feeling of ownership, I guess, you know, like. I guess it's hard for me to let go. I let it go years ago. I did. I let, I sold a lot of these systems off, but then I went and bought them again, <laughs> you know, cause I, I just like got that. Uh, I mean, some people just like collecting. I get it. Like it's, yeah. you know, it's a cool thing to have all this, all these pieces of game history. It's just, yeah, I, I just learned to part with it, but I, I understand why people still like doing that for sure. There is one thing that I really, really love, and this pertains to destiny and their like physical editions mm -hmm. and like the collector's edition specifically. Well, no, not the statues, okay. but the collector's editions, they have a lot of lore in them that uh, foreshadow yeah. a lot of things that are going to happen in the story in the future. Um, like, for example, with the Beyond Light collector's edition, like that little sculpture that came inside, it actually had secrets that pertained into in-game content, which is really cool. And... Bungie has been doing that, and I think that's a really cool little way to enhance your in-game experience through the physical items that you get. Yeah, I agree. I, I really, I, I really enjoyed those kind of like hidden journals and, and codes and things that you do yeah. with those. I think that was, it was very cool. So I still have a uh, Destiny One Collector's Edition with the Peter Dinklage ghost. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got my Dinklebot. <laughs> Never getting rid of that. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's uh, it's my little relic. So, Paul, back to you. Tell us about your book project, Hero Killer 2, which <laughs> is your latest book. Where did the inspiration come from to write your book? And I know this was the second uh, chapter, or the volume, I should say, of the book. Uh, what is your book about? How did the process come about? And uh, tell us a little more about that. Sure. Um, yeah. So in my, in my free time, I, I write books sometimes. Uh, I have a trilogy, the uh, Earthborn trilogy, which is three books. And then I have the Hero Killer series, which is two books. And I think I'm going to pull a God of War Ragnarok and just end it after two books because <laughs> uh, I think I'm done. Um, Hero Killer specifically is about kind of an ex-CIA uh, agent who is recruited to infiltrate a kind of near future televised gladiator deathmatch type of fight. Uh, to kind of take down the owner and uh, uncover his kind of true origins and uh, why he set this up in the first place. Uh, it is heavily kind of inspired by sort of like uh, hardcore um, action movies. I really tried to write it like uh, kind of a more cinematic action movie. Um, it's also pretty inspired by fighting games. I took a lot of inspiration from from stuff like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat or uh, especially Soul Calibur. That's one of my favorite series in terms of kind of creating uh, unique characters to be in this tournament against each other. And um, Hero Killer 2 is the sequel that uh, follows a, a different protagonist, but um, it's, it's still linked to the first book in, in kind of every way. 
and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm I'm trying to uh, figure out my next project, but uh, I am, am very proud of, of Fury Killer 1 and 2. I think those are probably my favorite ones I've done out of everything, even though um, the first book series is a little more science fiction and this is more uh, a little more a little more grounded in reality and there's not like aliens and stuff. It's just uh, a lot of a lot of fighting, <laughs> but I, I think it's a pretty good time. Old enough to remember the Running Man. So was there was it there is, any inspiration? So, I, yeah, so yeah, I didn't actually watch Running Man until after I wrote this, and I'm like, oh, okay, really? I can oh, see cool. it. It's not quite. Yeah. It's not quite as like cheese tastic as Running Man, but I did love Running Man uh, after I watched it. So I will certainly put that on the um, inspiration list. I would say the main villain is is a lot like the guy, the, the main villain from Running Man uh, to a certain extent. So I I can appreciate that connection. Richard there. Dawson. Former yeah. family mm-hmm. feud. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can I can definitely see a comic book or like a a short series being developed based on your book. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, that that is the ultimate goal. I can if I could have one dream come true, it'd be that one. So we'll we'll hold out hope. <laughs> That's a really good premise for a comic, too, I feel like as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I I, I think it'd be a lot of fun. So I don't know, maybe someday, maybe I can get that done, but we'll see. (laughs) So, Paul, we we briefly talked about the books that you're most proud of, but I'm curious, what is your most proud career achievement? I thought you were going to say, what am I the least proud of? (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is my most proud career achievement? Ah, Man, that's tough. Like, it's hard to narrow down, isn't it? I, it's not that I like achieve so much. It's just that like my, my achievements are so weird and all over the place. Like, I mean, on some level, like getting that first book out and written was a, a big achievement of mine. Like I always just wanted to be able to finish a book and actually publish something, which I did. So that was good. Um, in terms of like my job and metrics, like it's, it's goofy, but I'm still proud of my six and a half million view, uh, 10 things I wish I knew when I wrote Pokemon go posts, <laughs> which, uh, Back in the in the glory days of Pokemon Go, I was like, I don't know, probably like 20 percent of all <laughs> Forbes site traffic just with uh, articles and stuff around that time because it was so popular. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Um, other stuff like it's kind of random, just random things here and there, like when, uh, you know, I'll, I'll write a review and then like of, of a TV show or something. And then I know like the actor has read it and tweets it or something like just knowing that. I, I am able to connect with the people who kind of made that art uh, on that level is really cool. Um, or seeing, you know, with Destiny stuff, like seeing Bungie react to to things I've written or engage with me in, in, in conversation is is really great. I, lo- I love uh, being able to do that with them. Um, a long time ago, back when it was kind of the height of the, the PS, uh, PS4 versus Xbox One launch, uh, someone told me that Andrew House had told them that he read one of my articles before the Sony presentation and he used it to help craft uh, the kind of pitching of PS4 versus Xbox in terms of Xbox was struggling about like disc rights and like all this really confusing stuff. And I, Oh my God, was that the 2013 press conference? The one where, Oh, so I I know, I know Andrew house said that he, he used some, some part of my article to format some part of that presentation. So I, that, that was pretty, 
cool to hear. Oh my god, PlayStation stuck it to Xbox so hard from that was the article I wrote. I'm like, all they have to do is like it's a layup now. Like this is what they have to do, and then they did it. So that was that was cool. (laughs) This is how you share a game. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, I'll never forget that Adam Boyce with uh, Shuhei Yoshida. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think that's such a awesome thing that you're article was referenced by andrew house like that's amazing yeah someone had to tell me that like years later and i'm like no way <laughs> have you ever interacted with him i have never no, have i never ever, talked like, to him directly before he left uh but I, i'd like to but i guess yeah that was he, part of I, the old guard uh, that, 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 me. yeah that's mm-hmm. when jack tratton was there and everything i like yeah, jack yeah it was way back yeah <clears throat> yeah that's that's pretty pretty epic so okay I'm going to blame you for this question, Paul, because you kind of, you kind of, you know, steered us in that direction. Sure. What is, what do you admit? What is your most embarrassing career moment? Oh, where you're man. like, oh man, I really messed up here. There, there has to be a story. Because uh, you had a pretty epic career. Yeah. Okay. The worst one was the time I accused Sony of supporting terrorism. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So <laughs> the backstory here was um, there was there was a, a pretty bad uh, I think it was a mass shooting in in France or, or Belgium. I, I can't remember at this point, but uh, there was a news article that was passed to me by an editor where it was the Belgian foreign minister um, talking about how uh they had been tracking people like communicating to each other using uh, services like the PlayStation Network. And they wanted me to write up that article as a a gaming connection to it. Um, So I reported it that they had, you know, investigated the terrorists and they had found, you know, PlayStations that they had been using to communicate. Uh, The problem was that the article was talking about something like that had happened in the past. So it wasn't it wasn't directly related to that exact shooting, but uh, because that I wasn't given like the right date on the article, like I thought it was something that had come out um, after the shooting instead of beforehand, I kind of linked it directly to that incident instead of um, it being kind of a past reference. So while theoretically the the facts on the ground were true that it is possible and it has happened in the past where um, terrorists have communicated using, you know, PlayStation Network or Xbox Live or any gaming kind of communication service. It was factually wrong in that case, and it was tied to this very horrific event that uh, I had to publish a, a correction for. And that was it was it was just such a bad time. And like I, I felt so bad about it. And it it was like almost it was almost right. It just it wasn't enough. And I think uh, Jason Stryer, Kotaku, wrote an article about how I screwed that up. It was like journalism error leads to link between PlayStation and uh, attack or something. And (laughs) and he contacted me for comment and everything. And it was, it was perfectly fair. It's just, it was such, it was such a bummer because like, I I didn't want that at all to happen that way. And um, I still, that's, that's probably the worst thing I've done, even though like, the facts were true. It was just the, the dates got screwed up and it, it wasn't that specific incident, but it was still it was still a bad day <laughs> to be sure. Sony's network was going down like all the time, like wasn't it? It was like getting hacked. It, it was like- so that was a yeah, that was a different thing where so I I for a separate story that was it was not it was like a normal story. It was um, about the Sony hack where 
I think it was the, the lizard squad days. Lizard squad, yeah. And yeah. I was on I was on NBC Nightly News uh, with Brian Williams talking about oh, that. Wow. Um, and because that was an actual, you know, uh, terrorist thing that was happening through the Sony network where they were, they had threatened a, um, or they had taken down the network and threatened the guy's plane or something. And that was a whole other incident. So that was, yeah, that was kind of a mess. I remember when they took down the network, it was like right before Christmas time and we were playing destiny, like destiny one. It was like in 2014 and we had to like play another game for like, while because the network was down for like all day or something yeah there like, were times where it was down for a, a, an extremely long time it, it hasn't been that yeah. bad in, in a very long time but what what year was this 2014 i remember um, yeah yeah. yeah oh man. the year the death came out yeah you know what the funny thing is i remember that i i recall that year when that happened we were just talking on the phone for like hours just venting about how crappy people can be like creating like hacks that do this and we're like we should just start a podcast yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> oh man how time flies it's great well i mean yeah. when you're playing destiny there's a lot of things that come up in conversation so a lot of things do come up in conversation so paul tassie i'm curious when will paul tassie get a real cool animated intro I feel like I've been going so long now, I can't break the joke. And if I do, everyone will hate it. So <laughs> I might do it for like, I don't know, like a 100,000 subscriber video or something and just do it once as like a joke. But <laughs> I've had people offer to, to animate me an intro. It's just, I feel like it's too attached to the channel now to change. So yeah. I, I, I'm going to leave it probably indefinitely. <laughs> Part of the brand. Yep. I mean, that was Love the whole that. point of the channel originally. It's like, I don't really have video editing skills like i have the basics so it was like here's some slides and here's me talking uncut at the camera for 12 minutes so <laughs> that's what you're going to get um but i i don't know hopefully it's it's acceptable enough for for most people <laughs> thank you i appreciate that i just I, I don't have the time to do like a bunch of really really intense editing as much as i would like to so uh, I kind of like this is kind of the only way I can do YouTube is if I can get these videos out in, in a pretty quick amount of time. Makes sense. So, Paul, I'm curious with the Witch Queen coming out in February of next year, we have Lightfall scheduled for the following year and the final shape taking place the year after that. What is next for you in your Destiny community journey? What do you have planned in your writing career going forward? And what projects are you working on that you can tell us about? Um, it's a good question. Destiny specific. I mean, the big project over the last year has definitely been the YouTube. Uh, I am I'm really just trying to grow that, I guess, as much as I've I've grown my article audience. Um, so hopefully get people tuning in as much to my videos as they do for my articles, because I the, the difference is, is I am in complete kind of control and ownership of my articles uh, or, the, or, or sorry, of the videos where those are kind of like fully independent and kind of my own thing. Uh, so if I could keep growing that, that would be ideal. In theory, I, I would like to stream. It's just that is another thing where I, I just know how time consuming that is. Uh, and I, I don't know if I would be able to kind of devote the time to it uh, based on my current schedule. So if things change and I did have more time, then that would be something I would consider. But 
Uh, until then, um, probably not so much. Uh, maybe I will uh, <laughs> try to get Bungie to let me write a uh, expanded universe Destiny novel. That would be amazing. That's my my ultimate dream. But I don't know if uh, <laughs> if that's in the cards. But um, maybe maybe long long term future. But in terms of kind of just day to day, like I I will obviously keep covering the game as much as I have been. Uh, it, I feel very good about committing to the game kind of to the extent I have, like it is somewhat risky to put so many eggs in one basket as many content creators know. And yet this is kind of a bet that has paid off because of how long destiny has lasted. And Bungie has made it very clear that they are committed to destiny kind of forever at this point. Like this is their IP that they want to keep expanding forever. So it's not like destiny is going to be over after two more years. So I think it is a safe bet to kind of keep uh, investing in the Destiny space as a creator, um, even if you do kind of uh, branch out here and there for, you know, in different instances. Awesome. Well, Paul, thank you for sharing your amazing journey in the world of journalism and video games. And it was so cool to hear some of the awesome stories that you had to share from your time in Destiny. We do have a few more things to talk about tonight on the show. We have Trials of Osiris in full swing. It's back after a brief hiatus, I would say. And we have some new things that are happening in the world of Trials. And I'm curious, what do you both think about the current state of Trials of Osiris? I know that Shadow Price had a chance to play this past week. Uh, Paul, did you get a chance to play any Trials this past week? I played a lot of Trials this past week, more than I ever have. Um, and the, the the state of it was very good. I ran the full gamut of farming a 7-win card like forever just to get rewards. I did go flawless once, uh, and then I got stomped a bunch of times in a row, so I, I kind of did everything. Um, did... Uh, as we were recording this, there was actually some trials news that broke. I don't know if you've been paying attention to Twitter, uh, but if you want to address the most current trials news, I can read you something. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do that. Right. So Fallout asked a question uh, to Cosmo about what flawless matchmaking went. So he was asking, just double checking, flawless matchmaking. Are you still in the new flawless pool even after you reset your card? Or are you only in that pool when your card is currently 7-0 flawless? So this is the change that they announced in the TWAB about kind of, uh, you know, matching too many people against uh, flawless people and having them get like 5-0 stopped. Cosmo says that once you go flawless for the week, you start by trying to match with other flawless folks. It may eventually resort to matching against non-flawless. It resets each weekend. So that's a big deal. Because that means if you go flawless once in a given weekend, your matchmaking for the entire rest of the weekend is now going to be uh, a lot harder because you will be finding more and more other flawless teams. So account based or is that a uh, character based? That I am not sure. I think it's account based if I had to guess, but I don't know if that is clarified. So oh, somebody asked that question. Oh, it's account based. Cosmo said. Oh, oh it's a okay. Yeah, so Christian, this a guy is very Christian controversial that. because the you. people who go flawless frequently are going to be like sweating up a storm, whereas everyone else might find it easier to go flawless for the first time. Uh, but everyone, I don't know. It's I, I'm seeing a diverse range of reactions here because like everything went so well last weekend. I don't know if it's worth trying to change it, but 
uh, this this seems like it might be too much change for change's sake, honestly, uh, based on kind of the reactions I'm seeing. Hercules tweeted, well, I'll see you guys in Trials Tuesday morning when all the flawless players are stuck in the yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> Wow. That's a pretty big change, and I'm wondering if this was made to encourage people to go flawless for the first time. I think it is. I think that's exactly it. So, yeah, literally what Cosmo said was um, after it's turned on, yeah, this will be the intention is to avoid blowout matches. So I think they are trying to have more people go flawless in general. And yet I feel like they were already able to accomplish that <laughs> to a certain it's extent low, last week. So farm in the bottom of the ticket and things like that. Right. Yeah, well, and also, like, yeah, people are saying now that people are just going to stop after six wins to avoid going flawless to, you know, keep staying in the bad matchmaking pool. So uh, yeah. I don't know. This seems pretty risky to me, honestly. So people, those people are going to forego flawless to get the flawless rewards, just so they can not get stuck in the flawless. Like people who are trying to do people, yeah, people who are trying to do carries, something like that, like that. Yeah, I, I can see this having unintended consequences. I guess. Yeah, and I do think with something like this, Bungie is very quick to change course if it's necessary. So if the data shows that. It doesn't accomplish their goals with this change. They'll probably re- revert it back, or if there's too much of an outcry from the community, right? Um, I think it could break things. Like it sounds good on paper, but it could allow for unintended consequences of such changes. Well, so I, I, I think, think the only I think ways. the only change that needed to be made was. So if, if you're if you're on a seven and zero flawless card, I think after that, if you're trying to farm additional adept roles and go like eight and zero, nine and zero, ten and zero, then I think you should be matching with other flawless teams. That makes sense to me, uh, because after I went flawless, I started matching against the worst teams I had played all day for some reason <laughs> that I assume were like seven and thirty or something, uh, like I used to be, and that that doesn't really make sense to me. So it would make sense for there to be flawless on a flawless card but to go flawless one time and then have going flawless every time after that only match you or only try to match you with other teams that have gone flawless seems extreme to me in in a way that i I feel like it's overkill for a problem that isn't as severe as maybe they're making it out to be yeah yeah no I, i i agree i think it could lead to so many problems and like and also, do you have enough of a player base that had gone flawless for you to really not have to wait for a long time to get matched up once you go flawless? Well, once? if you look at like the stats, that, I think it was like, what were the twelve stats? It was like seven hundred thousand players, uh, and then I thought at least like two hundred thousand. All right, so okay, seven hundred fifty thousand players played trials. Two hundred thirty-seven players, two hundred thirty-seven thousand players went flawless. So. That's technically what the pool would be. So your pool would be a third of what it was otherwise. This means there's going to be less flawlesses probably this week, too. I Well, no, but the point is they're trying to make more flawlesses. Right. So that pool would go up. So maybe the, the maybe the pool becomes half of the player base instead of, you know, a third of it. I, I, don't, I, I mean, maybe it's worth experimenting. It just seems like as well as things went last weekend, I don't know why they would make a change that severe. 
because if you go flawless and then you're trying to get some other you know another carry somebody else flawless it's gonna be harder because you could be stuck in that flawless pool and everything because you already exactly. that's that's the complaint a lot of creators are making and yeah you know people like jake and stuff are like you know jake carried but then on the other hand you know i jake had a lot of fun this weekend and yet i saw jake said he went like he won a hundred out of a hundred games in like a day or something, <laughs> which might be a little too extreme in the other direction. If you're the guy getting matched up against Jake, uh, when he's gone flawless, you know, 10 times in a weekend already, and you're still trying to get it once. So I, that's kind of the other side of the coin of like, maybe that's why they're doing this to avoid situations like that. Um, but it does seem like a lot of people are, are not the most pleased with this, but I guess we'll see what happens. And it's it's tomorrow, so it is happening. Like it's, I don't think they're going to change their mind before reset tomorrow. They're gonna, so they're going to. I mean, unless like there's a huge backlash, like by like mid weekend or something. You know, um, I, I, I don't think they're going to change it mid weekend. If anything, they're going to change it in a future update with future weeks. But and they're yeah. going to see how it works. And now since they announced this, I think it's it's also a perception thing. So like maybe yeah. you would have lost this game anyway and yet people are going to be like oh i lost this because i'm in the flawless pool like this sucks like <laughs> so the people the fact that people know that now i think might be problematic too yeah yeah and it's it's tough to keep everybody happy you know especially when you have a game as massive as destiny mm-hmm. so uh, i'm i'm curious how has battle eye impacted trials this season so far for you uh has the gameplay become more fair less glitching so for me not at all because i don't play on, i don't play trials on pc i play trials on console um so battle eye is not really a factor for me and yet i i do think we saw obvious results from it we saw a bunch of people you know drop their kda by like a whole point because <laughs> they can't cheat anymore um not to say there was no cheating, but there did there did seem to be a lot less of it overall. I think over time, people will probably figure out ways around it. Uh, and yet, you know, I, I think it was overwhelmingly positive and it didn't have any uh, negative impacts on the game, certainly. I noticed when I was playing on PS5, I wasn't playing. I was playing PS5, PlayStation and Xbox players. I didn't see too many PC players at all in, in that in that pool. Wait, Dude, wait, wait. Were, you, were you playing on you said you were playing console yeah i was on ps5 yeah, yeah. so you're not going to get matched with pc players uh if you're on console like you you're only... playing with one because i was playing with corn he's he was on pc oh okay I, so I, then you would okay so then you get pulled up to pc i got it okay but it's like well. i knew he was on pc but i couldn't tell i didn't see anybody else i would look for the icon you know the little like keyboard icon. Oh, really that's surprising yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was interesting I was like conducting my own study, basically, like after each match. Um, I think for me, playing on PC primarily, um, I've noticed that Iron Banner feels better. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely feel that it has less glitching and just people like teleporting across the map randomly, like shit like that. But uh, Trials, to me, seems kind of just as difficult as it was before. But I think partially it's because I'm just a crappy player. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm going against a higher tier of competitive players in the game who just outplay me 
And that's just the reality of it. Um, so I need to get better with my uh, skill. Uh, I did learn that Vex Mythoclast is getting kind of pretty good. I really enjoyed using it, and I had some pretty nice kills with it. So it's really nice to see that uh, the Vex is finally becoming a little bit more relevant uh, since they brought it back in the Vault of Glass. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Just That's a little an bit. understatement. I will tell you, it's deadly. How, how much difference in everything? Is it in with every the activity, catalyst? It's, it's crazy. I'm getting the catalyst. The catalyst. I'm, yeah. I'm about to get it this weekend. I'm going to do a run with some friends. and uh, But even without it, I mean, with all the... In PvE, it's crazy. In PvP, it's crazy. Like, it's it's nuts. I love it. Yeah, we're actually planning on running it, too, because Shadow Price needs his uh, catalyst. Um, so uh, yeah. we'll see when we'll do that. But definitely have to run that. It's a fun mission, too. Yeah. I think uh, it's really interesting. There's um, some really interesting uh, ties to things that we played in uh, the past, uh, I would say one of the previous dungeons that we have played, uh, you'll find some sim- similar uh, story connections there. Uh, so that's really cool. And now, in terms of crossplay, how has crossplay impacted your trials experience um, thus far? Yeah, that's that's definitely a cool thing. Um, you know, I'm able to play with buddies on Xbox now. I, I haven't crossplayed with PC yet, but I know that's. Uh, certainly something I could do if I wanted to be at a disadvantage. Um, but it's it's nice to have that option. I mean, I, I'm of the, the sense that all games should have cross-play and cross-save. Uh, it, it's great that we finally got here with Destiny. And I think that has certainly helped kind of um, expand the player base uh, in many, many ways, just even as of this season. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy just, you know... It, it seems like matches don't take too long to find. It's nice just, yeah, playing with uh, people like, you know, when Corn's on PC, you know, and then we we don't have to be on the same platform. We can play together still and everything, you know. It just, I think it's it was awesome addition. Uh, definitely, you know, definitely needed it and wanted it at the same time, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think for me, crossplay is probably one of the single best features to come into Destiny. And it's the perfect thing for a live service cooperative game like Destiny, because essentially the barrier that existed before with me being able to play with my game with my friends on PlayStation and Xbox and just having that level of inconvenience is no longer there. I can play with anyone and it seems like a very seamless experience where I don't have to think about it. It doesn't feel buggy. It feels like a natural experience playing games with all of my friends. And it's really cool to just have a larger list of people on your friends list now where you have this one unified place where all of your bungee friends can exist and you can play with all of them. So I think that's really cool. And that adds to a lot of really cool uh, functions in the game. Like for example, one of my old roommates and one of my good friends from New York, we actually had a chance to play with him uh, in destiny too, even though he only has an Xbox one and we have never been able to do that before because I always had either uh, a PlayStation 5 or um, I do have an Xbox Series X, 
but um, I don't really play Destiny on there too often. Um, but now it's like I can play on PC. Shadow Price can play on PlayStation. My other friend can play on Xbox, and it's such a cool dynamic that I think we've never had before. So I'm I'm excited for that. Are we yeah, playing with great. Stadia players too? Or Stadia? Are, are we? Oh, I playing? hope not. But. I don't. I don't know. Do <laughs> are they... there any Stadia players? <laughs> I mean, there's, I mean there's some, right? But I never see like the icon for Stadia. Like, is there an icon for Stadia? There is. <laughs> I think it's a little it's uh, squiggly S or something. But, yeah. Oh, okay. Rare. It's a rare gem. <laughs> rare Pokemon. <laughs> rare Pokemon. I don't think I ever. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw one. Yeah. Oh man. But yeah, and and I think Crucible. I think it, it feels balanced. Oh. I was really concerned about Crucible and how it would be impacted by crossplay. But to be honest with you, playing with players from Xbox and PlayStation, it doesn't feel bad. But then again, like I might be kind of the wrong person to ask because I have a 3070 graphics card and I play in like high frames and high refresh. So for me, it's like I'm at the winning end of it, right? So I'd be at the uh, winning end of it tomorrow. I get my 65 inch LG OLED C1 TV tomorrow. Okay. Nice. Get that bread. Yeah. Get that bread. Excited about that. (laughs) Awesome. We'll have to talk about that next week on the podcast. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And on a slightly different topic, what do you think about the rewards in trials being put now in some of the endgame dungeon activities? Uh, do you mean the trials of the nine ones? Yeah. Oh, I think it's great. Um, I've gone out of my way to farm prophecy just for some of those. Uh, Darkest before is probably the one of the best new weapons oh of the God, season. I got with all the killed rolls. by that thing so much in it's, trials. It's so very good. good. Yes. Oh it is extremely God. good. Um, I, I think yeah. that is a that was a community request for a long time, and I think it's great that they finally implemented that. Uh, and I, I hope to see the rest of the the weapons return there too. And that that just always seemed like kind of like a no brainer in terms of um, a, a way to bring back loot. I think it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I got the hand cannon. I think the auto rifle and the shotgun from from there. Yeah. Yeah, I still have to farm it um i'm i've been slacking i've been doing nightfalls i've been farming the nightfalls to try to get a better roll on the uh shadow price and i forgot what other weapon i was I can't farm the nightfalls this season farm. because they're just like exodus crash and corrupted and i'm like i'm not gonna do these these are a nightmare i can't i can't you know what exodus crash is not that bad uh, we actually ran it with one of our friends, and Lake of Shadows wasn't that bad either. The, oh, Lake the of Shadows was, was great. Yeah, that was a good week. Yeah, but yeah, I did not love Exodus Crash for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have like a smart team that is good. Then I sure that I'm sure that's passable. But trying to do that with LFG was not good. <laughs> yeah, it's and not an LFG. It's just like for sure. Uh, like corrupted is oh, both bad and worse. So it's like not even. That no is such there. a long strike too. Yeah. Like it's so long. Oh, I know. I know. They need to make double rewards for that strike. Any strike that requires like that much more effort, you should get more rewards for oh, it. Oh, and it's it's bugged where you get gold like half the time by accident because the champion doesn't spawn. So it's <laughs> It's a nightmare kind of every level. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> yeah. That's that's got to be uh, pretty crappy all around. Yeah. So I'm curious, what do you both want to see 
come to trials in the next season with the Witch Queen and beyond. <laughs> I don't want things to come to trials. I want what trials had to come to Iron Banner. That's what I want. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah, trials, yeah, trials had enough tweaking. All trials needs now is like more maps, which everything needs, and more loot to earn. And like that's kind of it. Like they can stop screwing around with the formatting, you know, in my opinion. Uh, and then I just want the focusing to come to Iron Banner personally. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah, I I, I agree with that 100%. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, have reputation for like Saladin and things like that, and you know, have you know, get get loot at the end after winning or finishing your bounties. Like, you know, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that would be a good change. Yeah. No, dude, I, I, I'm I with you. I think, you know, Iron Banner is something that I really enjoy playing. And I think that they have a lot of opportunities to improve upon it, especially with the rewards. And uh, it would be really... Great to see them make some much-needed changes to Iron Banner to make it feel more fresh. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they've been doing good in some aspects. I mean, they actually have new weapons now. Uh, they have new... Sorry, my wife's um, My dog's barking. Uh, <laughs> they have new weapons. They have new uh, armor, finally. So, like, they are making some significant changes. It's just the, the farming. There is no farming. It's, it's, like, non-existent. So that is the thing that needs to change. Yeah. Do, do you think changing the quest system would improve that? Um, I think the, the I think quest, the quest yeah. that like the base quest they do is is fine. It's just the the problem with that is that it, that's the only way to get dedicated drops of anything. So like I'd be okay if that stuck around as like your first drop of whatever the new weapon is that they introduce. Like I think that's fine. Um, but I think we need a way to target farm additional roles of, you know, say the new stuff after that, similar to what we have for trials now. Yeah. I mean, even if it's like a hundred tokens, a roll or something like just something to make it focused. So you're not turning in like 4,000 tokens and not getting a single roll of like, you know, the shotgun or whatever. I, I think, oh man, I can vent about that because I spend two three thousand tokens trying to get a god roll race walker and i got just mediocre rolls i think got three of them yeah I, in I, the entire time it's the same thing happened to me in peace i spent like three thousand tokens trying to just get a peace bond with headstone and i could not get one at all yeah same and by the time i was done i was like you know what screw this like i'm like i was just frustrated yeah. at the fact that the the rewards were so rare that it just wasn't worth chasing after it. So that's definitely a much needed uh, thing for them to improve upon with Iron Banner. So I definitely agree with you on that. Didn't they have boons in Destiny 1 for Iron Banner? Like, Um, wasn't there, like, these boons that you, like, used to, like, pop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were ways to get more specific drops in Destiny 1 for sure. Yeah, And then at the very least, you could focus between armor and weapons in terms of, like, turning tokens in and stuff or whatever they were doing. Yeah, I feel like they could do something with that. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely, like, like the way Trials is uh, designed right now, too, with the Ritz rewards would definitely be an improvement. So what if you can go to the Helm and there was a dedicated section where you can go and 
focus specific pieces from Iron Banner. I think that would help alleviate that problem to some extent, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and not and not and not give it to us like in the final shape, like when 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 Destiny Two is like no fun intended. <laughs> it's like final form, like okay, now you can focus these engrams for Iron Banner. Yeah, but now think about this: if they created a system where you unlock different things as you progress in Iron Banner throughout the season, and these things are unlocked through XP and Iron Banner gameplay. And the more you play, the more you unlock. And you can unlock the ability to essentially get a random roll for whatever armor piece or weapon piece that you're looking to get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they can do that in the helm. They can have a specific vendor, maybe like uh, Lord Shax Jr. I don't know. Uh, and that could work. Hmm. I think that could be interesting. I mean... When we get like the uh, crafting, like that's going to yeah crafting. Oh, we didn't even talk about the crafting. I don't know what there is to talk about crafting yet because we don't know anything. (laughs) We don't know anything. anything. We can only speculate. Theoretically cool, yeah, (laughs) yeah. But it sounds exciting, and I mean, they came out and said it. We're going to have crafting in the game, so in some shape or form, it's going to exist. I'm curious. Will monetization and test evers eververse have anything to do with that or is it going to be strictly through my guess is no i i don't think i think they could get away with it with transmog because it was cosmetic i don't think they could get away with it with weapon crafting because it's no no a direct impact on power right yeah yeah no i think you're totally right well guardians we have some news from bungie with this week at Bungie, not a really long one, but we have some information there, uh, an updated roadmap and a few more things. Shadow Price, do you want to share with us what we learned in this week's Bungie weekly update? And I just realized I did not send you the show notes, so shame on me. <laughs> so you're going to get a you're going to get a quick notification right now with show notes. Well, it's uh, pretty good that they better have... late than never, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we, we got the blog here from uh, Cosmo. We do have the blog here. We do. Yeah. But I, I, I made sure to outline everything nicely for you. Well, that's uh, fantastic. Um, so this week at Bungie, they said they sent us on a new quest, um, and uh, we're hunting the. New exotic trace rifle. We're hunting rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I haven't had a chance to get it yet because I haven't finished uh, all the, the the quest steps yet. Still in progress myself. Um, how are you guys doing on your quests for the, uh, what is it called? Ager Scepter? Ager Scepter. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, I, I had to finish the day of to write about it and do videos about it. Uh I it was a little grindy, but I thought the story aspects of it were good, and the weapon is is a lot of fun in PVE, certainly. Yeah, um, yeah. I was kind of waiting to get carried by Shadow Price to find all of the whatever things unlockables. <laughs> um, so um, I'm not done yet uh, with mine, uh, but hopefully this weekend we can get this bread. And what is the reward from this exotic quest line? Uh, you get the trace rifle called the Ager Scepter. 
there seems to be a lot of cool Ooh. lore with it too. Like I'm really enjoying the lore that you get with it every time you like complete a week of the quest. And uh, okay, Paul. Now, Paul, you got the bread. Now, what do you think of the new exotic pulse rifle? I think it's trace uh, rifle. Trace rifle. Trace rifle. Yeah, me. it's. It, it is hilariously better than the other stasis guns. Like, the other ones are so bad in comparison, like the Cryostesia and uh, Salvation Script. This thing um, will chain freeze PvE enemies uh, in rapid succession, so that's cool on its own, and yet it also interacts with all of your stasis uh, aspects and fragments at the same time. So anything that triggers on freeze or shatter or anything like that um, will activate when you're using the gun, not just your abilities. So that means like, you know, overshields from from fragment shards or refilling your melee or getting stat boosts. Uh, so this is kind of a look at the, the future of how Destiny is going to handle elemental weapons, um, kind of based on what we know with the, the Void rework coming and, and the different abilities Void will have in the future. I think we're going to see more weapons like this that directly kind of interact with your subclass in, in cool ways. So I think this is a cool preview of that. Yeah. And they said we can start hunting for the catalyst after reset on September 21st. Yeah, I think that was a bug. I think it was supposed to be here, but I don't know what happened there. The catalyst sounds insane, yeah. too, where you, you essentially use your super on your gun and then you drain your super energy to power up the gun to like do a bunch more damage, which... Uh, that's that's the craziest catalyst I've ever heard of. So we'll see how that goes. Wow. So I, I'm going to make a prediction. I think this trace rifle will be the secret to beating whatever next big boss that we're going to be fighting. Perhaps in the dungeon that we'll be playing in the 30th anniversary content. Uh, I think Maybe that one this weapon will be it, a key. Yeah, possibly. And I think that from... Hist historical um, just data, Bungie has been very known to change things up in terms of the meta in the game with each season, right? So one season, the sniper rifle will become the meta. One season, the grenade launcher will be supreme. This season, obviously, we see that fusion rifles are very dominant. The Telesto is really, really good. Um... 1k surprisingly is just really beast oh yeah for sure um and I, I think that this is going to be the next exotic that will be dominant in this uh season of content in destiny and I, i'm excited i'm excited to play now how many steps are there, are there in mission without spoiling the quest line um i think like 12 for this week if you found all the other skews in the other weeks you just got to do one more set and then it's kind of it's, it's a lot of grinding stuff in like astral um it's it, this isn't like a big big like secret story quests or anything. So some people are complaining about that, but like everything can't be a big secret story quest. So it is some amount of, of just kind of grinding, but there is like a little, a little kind of segment at the ends with some new content. So. Okay. Well, that's, that's exciting. It's a new content to play and uh, yeah, yeah, the content I'm, is I'm whatever. The, the gun it. is a lot of fun. That's, that's what I would do it for. Looks like, Looks like we also got a roadmap, too. Um, Quote-unquote quote roadmap, yeah. Yeah, it, you know, it's a 
makeshift roadmap, <laughs> basically. Um, you know, we were in the season of the Wasp, so we know that what we got with it, we, you know, the crossplay live and the astral alignment, Shadow Realm, legendary weapon quests, exotic quests, and revamped Trials of Osiris begins. But in October and November, we've got our favorite uh, event coming back, Festival of the Lost, Masks, Candy, and Haunted Sectors activity. So haunted sectors. That's interesting. Something different, not mm. the haunted forest again. So maybe something different, something with the lost sectors becoming haunted, possibly. That's kind of a cool idea, actually. Yeah, I I thought this might happen when they sunset Mercury and they remove the infinite forest. So I figured we wouldn't get the haunted forest again. So yeah I'm, yeah, I'm certainly curious what this idea is, but I think it's, you know, we've had the Haunted Forest for, what, three years? So it, it probably was time for something new. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> I mean, seeing that EAZ come back again, like, was just like... I'm also done with the EAZ, yes. But yeah. I think I think the EAZ is going to get sunset, too, um, next time, and then the EAZ will be gone, too. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I think you're right. Based on feedback, I mean, and they brought back the EAZ how many times now? At least three this times. Third time. Yeah. 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 So I, I think it's time for something different, new. Yeah. So also now that's not all we're getting with uh, that the event. We're also getting season of the loss updates with the Grandmaster Nightfalls returning and Astro Alignment and Shadow Realm difficulty options. That's interesting. So heroic versions of those possibly yeah i'm curious what the rewards are for that maybe high stat armor i don't know or multi-perk weapons we'll see yeah and we've got in december through february we've got the bungie 30th anniversary event very excited for that uh with the new dungeon the gallahorn exotic quest so our favorite rocket launcher is back in the game uh new six-player offensive um also iconic weapons from Bungie's past and much more. And then finally, seasonal events with the moments of triumphs and the dawning uh, coming in that uh, time period as well. And when the Witch Queen dro drops, we're also going to get Season of the Redacted. We don't know the new name of the new season that launches when the Witch Queen launches. So they're calling it Season of the Redacted still. So it's a, you know... Like I said, a makeshift roadmap. Very different from what they've uh, had before, I would say, when it comes with their... Yeah, no no dates, uh, which I don't know. I'm okay with. I think it's fine to kind of not know exactly what's coming week to week. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I think, you know, an element of surprise is always a good thing. So I, I don't have a problem with them not spilling the beans on everything that's coming. Uh, but I think what we learned so far, I mean, um, I'm happy that season of the, not season, uh, the Festival of the Lost will be having some changes coming to that. And I've been wanting changes to that activity. So it's really nice to see that coming into the game. Um, but yeah, overall, good stuff. Yep. Uh, the next thing they talk about, Line for the Lighthouse. Uh, they go on to say, uh, talk about how trials uh basically did in the game last week uh we got some stats here um there were seven hundred fifty thousand players that played trials more than, than we've seen since the early days of destiny 2 and not only that one hundred twenty thousand of those were first time ever players and another four hundred seventy thousand hadn't played recently uh so that's uh that's really interesting that uh 
trials was able to have that impact again with the changes that they made. Yeah, the chart is hilarious. <laughs> how far it goes up. Yeah, it's just it's off the chart now, right? <laughs> so also, uh, two hundred thirty-seven thousand players went flawless, with one hundred five thousand players going flawless for the first time ever. Uh, historically, uh, on average, thirty percent of active players played trials each day this weekend. Top it out at over 32% on Saturday, and no pr day prior had ever gone over 21%. And over 2.8 million hours of trials was played over the weekend, eclipsing the highest prior single week total by a whopping 600,000 hours. And then there's a graph uh, that shows the historical data of the player count over time to give you an idea how impactful the weekend was. Like we were just talking about, like how it's just off the charts, basically, for. Uh, last week so what do you guys uh what do you guys think of that it's impressive i i think they did a great job with the revamp and they really drew everybody in we'll see what these new changes do but i think it's um certainly at a, on a strong start here i i think this destiny game is dead i, I think everybody's leaving nobody's playing crucible right here <laughs> and to keep that uh you know that player count live and active they have some up to upcoming changes as well and so tomorrow there's gonna be a few changes that are going live for trials uh they go on to say they aren't satisfied with the matchmaking experience for players after seven wins their area of matchmaking has a significantly higher rate of 5-0 games than they would like so they're enabling a flawless matchmaking pool which we talked about earlier and then uh, they said, however, we want to make sure that there are enough flawless players to maintain good matchmaking times. So we're waiting until Friday afternoon to turn this on and we'll be watching player reactions and matchmaking analytics all weekend to make sure it's behaving properly. Waiting until Friday afternoon. It's like that's like, what, a couple hours <laughs> after it launches? Yeah. <laughs> OK. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Uh, they're also not happy with the experience of players who have a bad streak of getting repeatedly thrashed 5-0. So they're enabling some matchmaking help if someone ruins runs into several blowout matches. Uh, this temporary help mechanic help, helps uh, clear up once they start winning again. So they don't think someone will cheese a flawless by tanking for a few games and then have a weekend of smooth sailing. Uh, they go on to say that lastly, we're enabling the quitter penalties that they use in the glory playlists, giving you a 30 minute timeout if you quit too many games. They're going to be watching this and have some harsher plans if players continue to abandon their fire teams. So, wow. Like, I was wondering if they were going to implement that. And, yeah, I because, I mean, I, I won't lie. We left a couple games because we were getting thrashed. And uh, we're just like, man. Yeah, but you don't get any rep if you leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's the only... Now, here's, here's what I'm curious about. And this... Uh, got me thinking about it because we were playing with Bushman Bob and his, his son and he kept getting disconnected during competitive matches. Yeah. So what happens if you cannot hold a steady connection? You kept getting, you know, you I think we know getting, the answer to that one. Yeah. I was screwed because that kind of is yeah. what happens already with like gambit disconnection or, or glory disconnection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a tough world, but you know, Got to keep things fair. Yep. Uh, so they go on to say that uh, next week, in addition to their first trials labs, um, spoiler alert, it's capture zone trials. They will be disabling the special ammo replenishment on revive 
and you still get a special ammo if you kill someone or when you start the next round. They're also disabled in the matchmaking counter on the Trials of Osiris lobby. So you won't be able to tell how many players have joined, but still, will you, but will still be told when they join. That's a good change. Yeah, that's that's People crazy. Were three stacks were farming solos using that, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, they also said we also fixed an issue preventing you from being able to masterwork weapons from Saint Fourteen's rank rewards. Uh, so, yeah, that's. Uh, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever seen when you started a match, like uh, when you're matchmaking, where you can't see the player count like on the screen. So yeah. that that that's going to be interesting. That's going to be kind of like, wow, like I'm, my brain, I'm going to have to get used to seeing that. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, But uh, so what do you guys think of those uh, changes? Uh, I mean, I think they're good. I think I think we just got to figure out what's going to happen with this whole flawless, not flawless playlist thing. Uh, I, yeah. I think it has the potential to be okay if it lets more people go flawless, but if it makes it just overly sweaty and annoying for like better players, I can see why people might be upset about that. So I don't right. know. I guess it's just worth an experiment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that ultimately they are trying to improve your trials experience uh they're trying different things i think that the move to uh essentially create the trials um pool or the the flawless pool is a little risky in my opinion i think it could lead to potential problems but I also know that Bungie is very actively monitoring the situation. So if anything happens where they need to act and change things, they can. So um, I think that's good. But uh, yeah, it's ultimately good changes. But I, I am concerned about the the flawless uh, ladder now being introduced in the game. Yeah. Uh, so the next thing they talk about is uh, some extended game downtime. Um, so on Thursday, September 23rd, there will be extended downtime for Destiny 2. It's scheduled in preparation for Destiny 2 Hotfix 3.3.0.3. Players will be removed from activities at 5 a.m. and will be unable to log in till 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific time. Please note that the times may be uh, subject to change during this maintenance period. Um, so that's uh, good to know. It seems like, uh, you know, they're trying to keep the game like in a good state, you know, squash bugs when they see them and, you know, things like that. So that's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, we got the movies. I'm curious. Oh, go ahead. What do you both think is the reason for the extended in-game downtime? What are they preparing for? I don't know. It must be some sort of major hotfix. Um if they're going to do that, that's my yes. I don't I don't know if we know specifically yet, though. Because I almost feel like normally when they create changes that are more substantial and they include them in the TWABs, they have these more larger downtimes. But I feel like this is kind of unexpected. Uh, so I'm wondering if this could lead to maybe a secret mission or I don't know. Possible. Um, I don't know if the timing lines up 
exactly for that yet, but because uh, we're still on the story campaign technically next week. But yeah, I don't know. That I guess we'll see. Good point. That's a good point. Yeah, so interesting stuff here. And we do have a tradition on the show where we rate the Bungie Weekly update in the form of spicy tuna rolls. <laughs> and Paul, as our guest tonight, what would you give this week's Bungie Weekly update in the form of spicy tuna rolls between one and five? One being bad spicy tuna, stay away, you're going to get sick. Five being you're having some like fine quality spicy tuna. I'll say like, yeah, two and a half out of five. Um, don't know how spicy. Uh, some of the trials changes sound good, some of them don't. So I, I, it, it'll mostly depend on tomorrow, I think. <laughs> Good point. Well, I, I think that's that's fair. And Shadow Price, what would you give this week's Bungie weekly update in the form of spicy tuna rolls? I give it a two myself. Um, oh, tough crowd tonight. There's, you know, it, it's good to get the analytics and it's good, you know, to have the changes, you know, coming. But it's like, man, it, it's it's just fine. It's, it, you know, and they can't all be like winners, you know, sometimes yeah, a light week. So yeah, yeah, it's a pretty light week. It's a very light, you know, it's some changes that are coming. Uh, they wanted to tell us how good it's performing after the, you know, some the changes they made, you know, to the activity and they're still continuing to, uh, keep it fresh and evolving. So, um, yeah, I'll give it a two. So I, I'm going to give it a 2.5 out of 5 spicy tuna rolls. Middle of the road update here. You know, nothing major, but nothing really disastrous. I think the changes to trials, I personally think a little too soon for them to implement this after the first major change. I think they should have allowed some time for them to really evaluate how things would progress from week to week. Um, but other than that, it was a really light update, nothing major. So I would give it a 2.5 out of five spicy tuna rolls from Cornholio. So guardians, we have come to that time where we get to wrap things up for the evening. Paul Tassie was such an amazing guest tonight. Paul, thank you so, so much for joining us on the podcast tonight. It was such a pleasure and such an honor have you on the show with us and to learn more about your destiny journey oh thanks for having me I, I really appreciate being on yeah of course and and where can we learn more about you and the work that you do um just follow me on twitter at paul tassie i post on my articles there and i am constantly tweeting about destiny uh, and on youtube at paul tassie as well awesome and Shadow Price, where can we learn more about you and what you do? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at ShadowPrice79 and also here on the Destiny Show. My dog is trying to get my attention or just trying to eat me right now, basically. <laughs> but uh, yeah, those two places. Or maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And you can find the Destiny Show podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We are on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on Amazon Music and every major podcast platform. You can find us on the web at destinyshow.com. We do have a new website that's coming soon. 
so keep an eye out for that. You can also find us on the Twitter at The Destiny Show. You can find us right here on Twitch every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. And Guardians, we will be back next week with another amazing guest on the show. So make sure to keep an eye out for that. And Guardians, thank you so, so much for joining us for another episode of The Destiny Show Podcast. And we'll see you all next week. We'll see you starside. Bye-bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.